a slightly different version of the Behind the You podcast. We'll, we'll go behind the conference, so to speak. Pleased to bring in a guy I've known for a while, one of the best around, just an all-around good dude, West Durham. So we got Packer and Durham, right? Morning, 7 to 10 on ACC Network. Absolutely. Having a good time, and it's it's been fun, even though, you know, we hadn't gotten off to a great start as a football conference this year. But, you know, we're still optimistic. We're not quite through, you know, what are we, about a third through, so we'll be okay. And then uh, somewhere on your radio dial, Oh, and TV set on Saturdays and Sundays doing ACC football and then the Falcons still, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough start for the old Falcons now, Josh, not going to lie. We got we have full rebuild going on there. It's been really interesting to watch that take place for sure. Oh, well, we're not in full rebuild, but it's, it's been tough sledding for us as well. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to your pain. I'm sympathetic to your pain. All right, let's get, look, for Miami, people can say what they want, but at the end of the day, the entire ACC schedule is in front of them. And a whole lot can change in a very short period of time. You see a lot of ACC football. You call a lot of ACC football. You're around the ACC. So I think this is a good place to start for us to get a maybe get our bearings on what's ahead for the University of Miami. So let's just start here. Who have you seen in the first couple of weeks live? Who have you seen and who have you been impressed with from a team standpoint? Live, I've seen Pittsburgh. I have seen Virginia Tech. I have seen Duke, and I have seen Florida State. Well, that's good. So all four are on Miami schedule. So we're going to get into each one of them. So give me the takeaway from those four. Like, who who impressed you most of those four that you saw? All right, let's go in order. I uh, saw Pitt in week one, and despite the mysterious Western Michigan loss where the Panthers took what my dad used to call an El Dosarito. I still think Pittsburgh is a really good football team, but they're afflicted with something I'll come back to that about four schools in the league are afflicted with right now, potentially including Miami. Florida State, uh, we had them following Notre Dame for Jacksonville State. You had that game? I had Jacksonville State, yes. Holy moly. I was amazed at the self-inflicted, unforced error category in that ball game. I think Jermaine Johnson is really, really good. So good that, I mean, they may not end up having a great season and he could potentially be the defensive player of the year. I think that's how good he is. I like McKenzie Milton. I understand the dual quarterback situation. I think it's one of the few places where it potentially could work. Let's see. Duke. I like Duke. I think the Charlotte thing was an aberration. I think they, a little bit like Carolina playing at Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech playing at West Virginia. I think this year in college football, you can go to certain venues and you're just not going to win no matter what happens, because I think the home team and the fans being back and all the things we didn't have last year kick in and whoever the home team is in that environment just skyrockets to their effort that day. I think that happened with Carolina at Virginia Tech. I think it would happen with Virginia Tech at Wake Forest. I think it happened with Florida State with Notre Dame. And Florida State almost won the game. I think Carolina, Virginia was a good example of that. Keenan Stadium was filled to the brim. The crowd was in it. Sam Howell came out slinging it. Brennan Armstrong came out slinging it. It looked like the Iowa Barnstormers and the Arizona Rattlers. But I, I think that's part of what you saw with Florida State and Notre Dame. And Virginia Tech, to me, is a team that is somewhere maybe not as good as they played on opening night. And I think they got some help from Carolina that night. And I think they're better than West Virginia and they lost the game for kind of the reasons I was talking about a second ago. And I think Virginia Tech is kind of in that mix with Carolina and Virginia and possibly Miami, because I still think even though it's the start that it is for the Canes, I still think they're in the mix because of conference play. And, I, and that's hard for people to wrap their arms around, Josh, because, and this is a long answer, I think people get too wrapped up in trying to make the college football playoff when really you're just trying to win games, if that makes sense. 
there's sort of steps along the way, right? I, and I also think that we get also caught up in the overreaction to the early part of the season, especially this year, right? Because this year's back to the normal season as opposed to what we witnessed last year, which was just a race to the finish, which was actually pretty cool. But the way that the things are set up right now, especially when you get non-conference matchups, so much of the spotlight's put on that, and there's literally almost an entire season left. In some ways, you could look at it through that lens. Well, as we said a moment ago, we're technically just a third through the season, so you still got two-thirds left. Here's the thing, too. We've gotten into a habit as fans of college football that we all like to have referendum Monday. I mean, we all love to have referendum Monday. Whether you win, lose, or draw, you got to have referendum Monday. And there's one thing about kind of where college football is, and I'll share this conversation. It was actually a couple summers ago, and it was with an athletic administrator who was in the ACC, no longer is in the ACC. And we had a conversation about patience in athletic administration. Because when you make a coaching change, you know, we got an example with Florida State. Let's be honest. Here's Mike Norvell in year two. If you take Dave Doran and look at where Dave Doran is with NC State and the six, seven, eight, nine wins that kind of NC State is capable of, okay? Well, some people say, well, that's not good enough. Well, it's good enough when you go to postseason every year, you continue to develop program. Would you like to catch one one year and win 10, 11, 12? Sure you would. It's hard for me to envision, and I said this after Coach Bowden passed away, Josh, it's hard for me to envision a school doing what Florida State did of 14 years of top five, right? I just, I mean, and you you grew up at that time, right? I mean, you remember, just think about all the things that had to go right for them to do 14 years of top five. I mean, Alabama, even the run Alabama's on right now, they can't, they had to restart a couple of years ago when they finished seventh. Clemson's streak will come to an end this year if they don't, you know, make the college football playoff per se, or if they make it and lose, whatever the case may be. I mean, it's really, really hard to do. And I think we've kind of lost sight of that. And the playoff has contributed to it. But at the same time, man, there's some really good football coaches in this league right now. There's some really good ADs in this league. But the patience factor is real low. And that's not a good thing. I mean, the number one thing in Tallahassee, and I know this is a Miami podcast, and it's applicable probably to there as well. It's applicable to like David Cutcliffe at Duke, who I just saw a couple of weeks ago. I mean, Duke's had a couple of years where it's not gone as well. After that 13 run, when they went to the championship game and played A&M in the, in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. I mean, there's a time frame where you have to understand, hey, you know what? We're having a little dip here. And if we can get it back, we'll be okay. And if we can't, then you make the change. You don't make the change the third Monday in September because your team didn't do something that you thought they should do. If we did that, we'd lose all fan interest because everybody would stand around on Mondays and wait on the press conferences to be called. So I, I think we're okay. And I think the games are so refreshing to have. And Dave Clawson said this on our show in July and knock on wood or some simulation of it. I hope that we're going to get what Dave Clawson thought we were going to get in July. And that is the most competitive college football season we've ever seen because of all the super seniors, all the grad transfers, the portal, and everything else in, in the mix, I think we're going to get a really competitive season at the end of the line, but we're still really early in that season, in my opinion. So it's funny, someone who writes, has a fan site down here who, who does a really good job, I, I think a pretty fair job, going into Michigan State, say, hey, look, a fair expectation for mine would be a top 15 team right now. And he based it on kind of where the recruiting class has been, guys in the NFL, which has come down. And also, uh, there was a poll that was out there about, you know, most coveted jobs. I think 247 Sports did. I think Miami came in around 15. So he said about top 15 now for where they are and trying to go is fair. So to your point, if you actually look up what a top 15 team's record is, 
anywhere from two to four losses. Not a top five team. If you're in that 13 to 18 range, you might have up to four losses. And I just think people have lost sight of what is good versus what is not good when it comes to college football. Well, let's process Clemson since they're the king of the ACC the last handful of years, right? So Clemson's offense has not been where we are accustomed to seeing Clemson offensively. Their defense is as good as the 16 defense, though, right? The one of a few years ago that ultimately won the national championship with Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Furl and all those guys. I mean, you know how loaded that defense was. It was crazy. So take Clemson, and after they lost to Georgia without allowing an offensive touchdown, immediately the national media said, well, that's it. Clemson's done. Well, by that same premise, when Oregon beat Ohio State, they were done. And a couple of weeks ago, Brett McMurphy printed a list of undefeated teams. There were like 15 in major college football that were left. After three weeks, there were 15. And I thought to myself, okay, well, if you're undefeated, that means you still have a chance. And my wife, you know, because I'm doing Charlotte doing the show and she's still at our house in Georgia, we, co- we have conversations. She's a huge football fan. She can't wait for college football to start every year. And she said, well, based on the way the rhetoric's been posed the last couple of weeks, once one of all these 15 teams lose, we're kind of done, right? I said, well, maybe, but here's one piece. I'll, I'll leave this with you on the broad stroke here. What if we end up with a zero, one team, zero, and about nine with one loss? What's that going to do for college football? It'll reinforce the 12-team playoff. Well, it'll reinforce the 12-team playoff. That's true. But the other thing it will do for college football, it'll make us realize how much and how valuable the regular season is. And no matter what the playoff becomes, 4, 6, 8, 12, 24, I don't care because that'll be a business decision, not a football decision. If we reinforce how valuable the regular season is, that means college football as a whole, whether you lose 1, 2, 3, or 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, it'll reinforce how valuable your product and your program and your schedule is. And really, at the end of the day, that's what keeps the fans interested. I want to go back. You kind of ticked on this a little bit. You said there was, I think you said there were four programs afflicted with something at the beginning and you, you kind of said Miami. So what was that? What, what, were you, what were you getting to? Run the ball. Let's learn to run the football. Okay. The Miami is in that category. Well, I mean, look, they got company. Boston College, Pittsburgh, Miami. I mean, I, we jokingly said this on the show the other day. It's not about Jameer Gibbs and Cameron Harris. It's about Patrick Garwell of Boston College and Ty Chandler of Carolina. It's about, you know, Brennan Armstrong having more rushing yards than most of the starting running backs in the league, right? It concerns me that we've gotten into a point now where the spread has left us to the simplistic nature of just running the ball. And look, Boston College is, with Phil Dracovic, is probably a really, really good football team. I mean, a chance to maybe run the table good. But I'll say this, there's no possible way, if they can't run the football, Dennis Grossell or Joe Namath could coach Boston, our quarterback Boston College, and they're not going to win the ACC if they can't run the ball. And I'm surprised. Pittsburgh, I mean, Pittsburgh's good now, Josh. If Pittsburgh can't learn to run the football with Vincent Davis, A.J. Davis, Izzy Abanacanda, and whoever else they want to use, it's going to be a hard fall the rest of the way. Now, I think they'll change, but it's amazing to me the teams that just simply cannot run the football right now. Yeah, it's. I saw NC State against Mississippi State. I think that was their. I think been like 20, 20 carries, twenty yards. Yeah, I mean, I look down at the ACC rushing stats and I see three quarterbacks in the top eight. That's not good. I mean, there's no more Paul Johnson option in this thing anymore. Okay, 
I mean, this is spread, and we got Sam Howell. Sam Howell's Carolina's leading rusher. Now, how much money do you think I could have won if I'd have walked in in July and slapped $1,000 on the table in Vegas and said, Sam Howell's going to be North Carolina's leading rusher after three weeks? What do you think that response would have been? Yeah, you'd be good, good, it would have been good. You might not be living in that one bedroom in Charlotte these days. You might have, <laughs> might have a house. <laughs> I might have three houses. You might have three houses. <laughs> you might have told ACC Network, we're going to move the show to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, or we're going to, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to have a house here and a house there. We're going to have a jet. That's what would have happened. Correct. Wheels up, baby. Let's go. Wes up. Wes up. Wes, <laughs> Wes up. up. That's right. Yeah. So in your opinion, for what, so Miami has every conference game left on their schedule. They haven't played a game yet. Is North Carolina still the toughest one? Probably, but I would tell you, I think Virginia's got the right makeup and the right chemistry. I worry about the injury factor because I think Virginia has a pretty thin line with injuries. Carolina's, you know, they've had a mix and match around in the offensive line. Azudu was not played very much. I mean, he was kind of in and out the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I think Carolina, I think Virginia, you know, I'd like to hold judgment on Virginia Tech. They're in a bye week after playing Richmond last weekend before they host Notre Dame and then they play. And Justin Fuente wasn't happy at all with the way their schedule laid out. But, you know, to be honest, if they get Notre Dame next week, then, you know, you feel pretty good about maybe where Virginia Tech is. But I would certainly put Miami. The thing that I see about Miami is just kind of where are they? Where's the checks and balances on both sides of the ball, if that makes sense? Can you play complementary football consistently? You hear coaches say it all the time. We need to play complementary football. Most coaches should also add we need to play consistent complementary football. Complimentary football really only lasts about four or five possessions in a game if you're lucky. And coaches talk about it like it lasts all night. And that's not always the case, I don't believe. So UVA is up next for us, Thursday night special. But I like Brendan Armstrong a year ago. He's really good. He is good. Uh, he's the only one that right now they have proven that can run the football, though. Wayne Talapapa, Mike Collins. Uh, you know, you remember this. Mike Collins was pretty highly recruited out of Louisiana, as I recall. They just have not shown. They, You know who they need? They need Smoke Mizell is who they need. Thank God he's not there. Well, exactly. But, you know, remember, Bronco Mendenhall, if you go back, and I did this summer before last when we were in the first part of the pandemic. You had a lot of time on your hands, so time to, what am I going to do today? Well, and I went back and looked at Bronco Mendenhall's 2012. He brought that BYU team to Atlanta, and they smoked Georgia Tech. And he had Jamal Williams as a running back from San Antonio, Texas, and now I believe plays for the Packers. And he had a really stingy defense. He's, he was better defensively than he is now. But his quarterback was a two-way guy. And Brennan Armstrong has gotten to the point where he's actually better than what Bryce Perkins was for Virginia because he can throw it more proficiently. He can run it. He's a physical joker. But what they don't have, they've got Wayne Talapapa, who is kind of the, uh, forgive me here, the Kalani Sataki of the old BYU Lavelle Edwards offenses. But they don't have a Jamal Williams. They don't have that back at 180. You know who I'm talking about. The smoke myself, the scat back that BYU had that they can bring in on third and two and get 20. They don't have that guy. It's Armstrong or bust. Now, I will tell you the one thing they have that Miami fans are going to sit there and go, you got to be kidding me, is zero. Jelani Woods, the grad transfer from Oklahoma State. I just was watching him. That dude, he should be playing for Tony Bennett. He's Kyle Pitts. He's Travis Kelsey. Gronk. He's all those things. And I'm, I'm telling you, I heard about him in June, and I didn't believe it. And then I saw the uh, Illinois ball game. I mean, they, they went linebacker safety. They framed a uh, safety corner on him. 
and he exploded on those two cats. I mean, Brett Bielema had to go back to Champaign and see if he could go recruit somebody to even remotely come close to him. That guy right there is a major problem for the rest of the ACC the remainder of the year. Yeah, I've, actually, I was just watching some of the film on that, and I was like, whoa. And I saw him a little bit against North Carolina. Now, what happened to their defense against North Carolina? Well, first of all, I, again, remember I talked about their thin depth, right? They've got Nick Jackson. They've got some guys in the front. Mandy Alonzo's been there 100 years. Joey Blunt gets hurt, and they become very mortal, in my opinion. Joey Blunt is such a smart football player. He's a physical joker, but he can't stay healthy. I mean, remember, he only played three ball games a year ago. He gets banged up in Chapel Hill a couple of weeks ago. Now, all of a sudden, you got to kind of sort out who you are defensively. And while you're doing that, Sam Howell's sitting back there picking you apart. And that's where Carolina's changed. But it's kind of scary, too, Josh, because Carolina was doing a little bit of this last year. If you remember, they were kind of going, you know, 60-40 past the run. And then it wasn't until late in the year that they cranked up those two cats carrying the rock. But I think the second guy is already there. He was not as popular. Like, they knew who Ty Chandler was. But I really think they want Caleb Hood to be that number two guy because he is he's 225 pounds. He's a whole different deal than Chandler is carrying the football, it looks like. I think the other thing, too, is with them, at least, is, I mean, you know, because we heard the rhetoric before the Alabama game. Oh, they lost all these guys to the NFL. What is going to happen? They've come back to the pack. And I just thought to myself, well, if we're saying that about Alabama, no disrespect to North Carolina. Mac Brown's done a great job. But, like, they lost four dudes. They've recruited really well, but they're not Alabama. So, like, there's got to be a little bit of a – not a complete reset, but, like, you can't wipe those four guys off the map and then just assume it just resets itself. They're not there yet. Well, and that's where I would – you know, and you know recruiting far better than I do. You've forgotten more about it than I know. But I would offer this. At some point, the spring doesn't lie to a coach. The spring – I mean, if you're looking at early enrollees in January – and you're counting on a bunch of early enrollees, it better be because they're a lot better than the veteran guys. And if they're not, then that's not a good thing. So Roddy and I, Roddy Jones and I did like five spring games this year. So we did Pittsburgh, we did NC State, we did Duke. Uh, we, we got a really good look at, at some of these teams, right? At the end of the day, I felt like, you know what, there's some teams here that are going to have real competitive depth. And I felt like NC State and Pittsburgh had legitimate competitive depth. And everybody kept talking about Weaver and Jones being gone from Pittsburgh. And I get it, two All-Americans. But Baldonado was a kid that got a lot of reps. They played without Keyshawn Camp most of last year. David Green, they felt good about. I mean, there, there's all sorts of elements there. You're not asking, you know, they've got a couple of grad transfers. They've got a freshman or whatever. They were trying to sort out the offensive line just like Duke was. Well, Duke had Mateo Durant. Pitt doesn't have Mateo Durant. And I think that's one of the things that probably separates the good running teams with the teams that are just pedestrian running the ball. It's funny. I was thinking about when you were talking about Virginia and Smoke Mizell, I was thinking about running the football. And my thought went to, as you were saying that, who are the good running backs? Who are the elite running backs? We've seen some really good running backs come through this league. You know, for Miami, at least, this is no knock on Cameron Harris. But we're missing two guys. So Don Chaney, we're talking about recruiting. Don Chaney and Jalen Knight and Dayton Brower two years ago, they're not available. So they're pretty much down to one running back. And those guys are good. They have different skill sets, right? And they bring something different to the table. Your running back helps your offensive line as much as your offensive line helps your running back. And I was thinking about when you were talking about Smoke Mizell, ETN comes to mind, and we're going way back with Dalvin Cook. But like, how, how much do they miss him, by the way? How much does Clemson miss that guy? I mean, Will Shipley's a talented kid, but Will Shipley coming to school in January and now in Clemson's one of the schools we did, and we saw all this depth that Clemson had. 
but they had six running backs and Ches Malusi left after the spring. And now Lynn J. Dixon's decided he's going to transfer. So all of a sudden Clemson's down to Kobe Pace and Michael Dukes, Phil Maffa and Will Shipman. Oh, and Darian Rencher who's a great kid, but he plays in the 30, 30 games. So I, I mean, the idea of Clemson's depth now because of personnel or fit or whatever has changed, but you're right about Knighton and Cheney. And all of a sudden, that'll cut you down. Well, Carolina didn't have Javante Williams or Michael Carter. Duke has Mateo Durant. Why do I like NC State? Because they got Bam Knight, Ricky Person, and Jordan Houston. That's why I think NC State's still in it. And by the way, Devin Leary gets over the mistake. If Devin Leary makes a mistake, he doesn't typically make it twice. NC State, if they cover the kickoff at Starkville, it's a different game. But instead, the kid runs at 100 yards. And all of a sudden, NC State's playing uphill all night long. That's what I meant by games like Virginia Tech, Carolina, Virginia Tech, West Virginia. I mean, situations like that, there's no chance. It's just no chance. It's funny. Uh, I was listening to um, the Yahoo guys in their podcast, and Pete Thamel said the difference this year is, especially early on, is super seniors and fans. Dave Paulson, super seniors, grad transfers, portal, and over the 85. It's the difference. I mean, you can have me on here, and I don't know the business like you do. Those three things and the 85, being able to go over the 85. Tom Luganville told us that a year and a half ago. He said if they let them go over the 85 another year, which they're doing this year. Remember now, some teams are going to have, you know this, they're going to have to have a general manager and a capologist working in their athletic department because they got to get back to 85, Josh. So what's going to happen then? The portal will explode. Well, did anybody ever think the bottom of the roster won't be good? Because the bottom of the roster at some schools, I mean, let's use another school. Let's take Missouri, for example. Eli Drinkwitz is building a program. Hypothetically, let's say he's got 96 on scholarship. Okay. Well, he's got to sign a class and he's going to sign, what do you think, 18? Probably most schools going to sign 18, right? Some are going to fill it up. Well, if they fill it up to 25 and they can't go over, some of these kids are going to go, wait a second. I'm, number one, I'm not on scholarship. And number two, I'm not going to play. So what do I need to do? And I talked to an FCS head coach this summer who said, believe it or not, we're going to scale and wait on our recruiting because we think we're going to get guys who come back to us. The portal thing's not anywhere near over from that standpoint. No, not at all. So you mentioned NC State. You mentioned the quarterback. You mentioned the the running backs. And I remember we played them last year. I love their receivers because they just got big targets. They are really, really excited. And they were. And Tim Beck, I think, has done a really nice job with that program. But they were really excited about the development of Porter Rooks. They like a Mecca. Amezi, who I told him he's been in, he's been playing football at NC State since Nixon was in office, and he said, "Who's Nixon?" You know, so that was fun for me to realize I was that old. Right. When you when you know this, that's when you know you're old. You know you're old because I have to go through this too. When you start talking to, to players, you're doing an interview, whatever, however, you, whatever the interaction is, and you bring up a reference, and in your head, as it's coming out of your mouth, you're just like, "He is not going to have one freaking idea what I'm talking about." And then you're doing the math in your head. I'm like crap, I'm like 30 years older than him. I'll give you one other one. And this is, I'll steal this from Ryan McGee because Ryan's got a teenage daughter who's, I think, a junior in high school. My kids are out of college now. My daughter went to Florida State. My son's actually a GA in basketball at Clemson now. But um, Ryan told me he mentioned a phone booth to his daughter and she looked at him like he had nine eyes. What's a phone booth? Right. You bet. Well, you have to put a quarter in the deal. And remember, you used to carry the credit card to make the long distance calls. 
Yeah, or call collect and be like, hey, answer the phone. Or I'll just I'll meet you. Don't answer. I'll meet you on the corner. There you go. Exactly. We just eliminated the bottom half of the audience. Yeah, that's okay. So NC State, the linebacker, the, the injury hurts, right? Yeah. Well, Cyrus Fagan, the safety who came over from FSU and Peyton Wilson, but they still got great leadership. Drake Thomas is still there. Isaiah Moore is still there. And really, and you know this because the way that Tony Gibson wants to line up in that 3-3-5, more often than not, they're playing 4-2-5 now. And when they get to the 4-2-5, it, it really gets pretty interesting. So I, I think I'm kind of okay with NC State, but their depth, um, look, Guanu is such a stud, too, at left tackle. I mean, he's such a stud. You know, I run in those circles on Sundays, and those cats are like, that guy's a real deal. He's a massive human being. Kind of like Makai Becton was a couple of years ago at Louisville, the left tackle. And Icky, and I think the Zudu, and that's the other thing, too. It's a wonder, the run thing that we were talking about earlier, NC State can run the ball. Because of Grant Gibson, Icky Iquanu, and the rest of those guys in that offensive line. The funny thing is, Boston College, they can't run the ball with those five. I mean, how good they are with Vrabel and Lindstrom. And Zion Johnson's a pro. I mean, he came back, and he's going to be a first-round pick. That's the one that scratches my head a little bit, to be honest. You mentioned Pitt before. We saw we had Pitt last year. They did not have Kenny Pickett. We won. Good win for us. But I will say that we caught a break because he is really good. I think he's a guy that doesn't in our league that doesn't get talked about enough. I totally agree with you. He's come on with us more often than just about any other student athlete we've had. I am a huge fan because of the reason he came back. He likes to practice. Mark Whipple told us a great story prior to the opener up there that we did on, on the network. And he said, they give Kenny an off day leading up to the first week. They gave him Tuesday as an off day. Kenny, you're not going to throw today. And he's mad about it. I mean, he told Whip, he said, I want to throw. No, you're not throwing today. You put the red shirt on, you're walking out to practice, but you're not throwing. And Whip said they are about halfway through practice. And he's watching Nick Patty and Davis Bevel, you know, run routes and do all this and seven on seven stuff, right? And Whip says, out of the corner of my eye, about 35 yards away, way over on the other side of the other practice field is Pickett throwing it. He said, really? I give you an off day and you still want to throw. Whipple said, he told Kenny last summer or last winter, he said, Kenny, if you go to the NFL draft, you'll be drafted. The reports were you'll be a third day guy, whatever. He said, you will be on the team, but you'll be a practice squad guy and you'll never get reps. And you like to practice too much. You love the game too much. If you come back, you got a chance to be a backup, maybe as a rookie or be a third guy and a guy who travels and is in the mix for the future with the team. So the Dan Marino stuff and all the pit records and being one of the great quarterbacks in pit history. Yes, that was part of it. But one of the real reasons he came back, Josh, was because he wanted to continue to play. He loves the competitive aspect of throwing the football. And to be honest with you, I thought Western Michigan was an outlier. The old El Dosarito, man, my dad. He's exactly right. Somebody every once in a while, you take an El Dosarito. And I, I think Pittsburgh had an El Dosarito against Western Michigan. I think they are capable of being in Charlotte as the Coastal Champion. Absolutely. Well, they're, they're a hard out anyway. They've always been a hard out. Just put them on the list, though. Put them on the list with you guys. Put them on the list with, I mean, Virginia, Carolina. It's like five teams. We're all, it's this coast. The Coastal hasn't, the coastal hasn't changed. Well, and let's be honest. When Carolina beat Virginia, the door just opened for everybody, right? Because those three are now in a triangle. So for Miami, for Pitt, for anybody else that wants to jump in, you stay out of the triangle. If you beat those three teams, 
you stay game and a half or two ahead. That's the first two off the bat. It's Virginia on a Thursday off at Carolina with NC State on the trail. Then Pitt, that's the first four. I, I don't know where the future schedules are, but y'all need Central Connecticut State on that list. We needed Central Connecticut State week two or three. Not week four, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, Justin Fuente has a legitimate argument about his schedule, and y'all probably have a legitimate argument about yours too, because Pac and I broke the Of course, in June, what else are we going to do, right? We broke down schedules. Was it scheduled Tuesday? Referendum Monday, scheduled Tuesday? Could have been. I remember we talked a lot about those first four and what those first four were going to look like. You know, this is this is the ho- obvious, the clear Homer perspective. It, I'd be hard-pressed to find a team. It doesn't excuse anything that's happened. Look, we did not play good enough to not be one and two. But Alabama, App State, Michigan State is a tough go to start the season. I know. I mean, Georgia Tech has the second-hardest schedule by the metrics in the country. Arkansas somewhere in there, too. And I think you guys were fifth or sixth when the season started. It's crazy. I think somewhere in there, you need a week to recalibrate. Instead of on the back end of that, you just need a week to kind of get right, recalibrate, fix, move forward. And you know what? If we go to 12 teams in the CFP, people need to remember that. Because I'm watching the NFL play 17 regular season games right now. Be interested to see how all that unfolds for sure. I'm with you. So where is where you mentioned Georgia Tech? Where you're an Atlanta guy. Where is Jeff Collins? Where is he in his uh, the rebranding, the the reprogramming of a program? Like because we always look at Atlanta, or we look at Georgia Tech as sitting, you know, another like like Miami. It's sitting in a sleeping giant of of recruiting capital. I think they've done a good job recruiting. You would know better than I would in terms of the players they've gotten. I would say this about Jeff. Jeff's enthusiasm for doing the job and getting Georgia Tech going is admirable. I would say that the other aspect about Jeff is there are times when I think there's an oversell and an underperform. And that's hard. It's hard because you're trying to put your program at the front, right? You're trying to get, and you know what Atlanta's like. And you you and I have had this conversation about the crossroads of the SEC and the ACC. That's why the whole market, I mean, I live in Cartersville where Trevor Lawrence is from, but also 13 other FBS recruits in the last three years are from Cartersville. So, I mean, there's nothing to go to a, a diner and eat lunch or breakfast or something and see two coaches there, right? I mean, the idea of getting out in that marketplace is important. He's done a great job. Jameer Gibbs, highly recruited kid. Jeff Sims, highly recruited. But you got to be patient. It's funny how we're going back to the beginning of this whole deal. Paul Johnson did not leave a bad program, but there was going to be a transformation to go to another set of values and schemes and everything else. And basically, you changed your generational coach. You changed from a guy in his 60s to a guy in his you know, 40s playing 30s, right? And I think that was good. And he's gotten a lot of kids to buy in. Look, he's been doing this all his life. This is the way he was when I met him in 1995 as a GA. He's got great energy, but it's a hard job because about the time you think you've got it kind of going the right way, something will change either with the Institute from an academic perspective, although I do think the president, and I've been gone nine years, so I can't speak to day to day, but Dr. Cabrera, the president seems to be behind him. Todd Stansbury, the athletic director. But when I saw an article the week of the Northern Illinois game, Josh, quoting two boosters saying it's time to go to a bowl and it's time to win. And I went, have you cats looked at the schedule? You're playing five top 25 teams. Oh, and by the way, you've also struck a marketing deal to play games at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So when you play Carolina on a Saturday night, you're playing them downtown. You, you're not playing at Grant Field in front of your students. So hey, there's all sorts of different dynamics about Georgia Tech. I, 
look, I think Jameer Gibbs is an immense talent, but you got to beat Northern Illinois. And then if so, you're kind of in the spot everybody thought you were going to be in. But the, the effort against Clemson was great. You know that. The effort against Clemson was really good from a defensive perspective. I was watching Carolina, Virginia. I flipped over, and I was like, wait, am I seeing this right? And I thought two things. One, good for Georgia Tech. And I was like, uh-oh, Clemson. Yeah, but you know what? Think about the, uh, what was it, the last, two years ago, we were down there when freaking Presley Harvin threw a dime to Nathan Cottrell, right? They had a sack fumble in the end zone. I mean, there are all sorts of little things that happened in that game. So I'm totally with you on where Georgia Tech is and should be. But right now, he's still young in that program. It, it, Jeff Collins taking over Georgia Tech three years ago is entirely different than Mac Brown coming back to Carolina. 100%. And a lot of people still say, oh, that's the same. No, it's not. It's not even close. I mean, you're literally starting new. You're changing generationally for sure. I'd imagine there were pieces that just weren't usable just because of style of play. Yeah, size and things like that for offensive linemen, absolutely. But there are also pieces of it, too, that I think people be surprised to know kind of how the transformation occurs. The strength and conditioning pieces, all the, the athletic skill guys. But, I mean, he's redone all the things you think that factor into recruiting kids these days. Georgia Tech didn't have any of that when Paul left and retired. Now they compete with locker rooms and all the stuff. That, I don't know what you call it, ancillary material, whatever it is. That's the glitz and glamour? Hey, all I can tell you is when I went to work in the building in Atlanta, officially in 1997, I started doing the games in 95, but I went to work for the school August 1 of 1997 and left in 2013 to go to television. The story I heard the first week I was in the buzz, actually before that, because I was just doing the games, Georgia Tech had a soft serve ice cream machine in 1990 when they lost a recruit after winning the national championship to another school because the kid literally chose the school because of soft serve ice cream. Now. You can top that story a thousand percent, I'm sure. But look where we are today with the soft serve ice cream concept. We're now name, image, and likeness. We're uniforms. We're swag. We're social media presence. It's a conversation I shouldn't, I, we should not go down. No, I know. But you know what I mean? It's this whole thing is entirely different now. It is the business of college football. You mentioned Florida State earlier from your vantage point, being in the league, talking to people. What, what's happened big picture to Florida State? Not Mike Norvell. What's happened big picture? Because it's been a pretty steady decline because they were sitting at the very top. Yeah, in 2001, 13, yeah, eight years ago. They play in the first CFP and look like Barnum and Bailey Circus against Oregon that day in the Rose Bowl. And from that point on, you can almost go back and identify, right? For me, I think it's really, really difficult to maintain momentum once you slip. I think going down, it's really hard to accelerate back up unless you have a defining moment. Changing coaches, and I don't know what happened at the end with Jimbo, but when you stay too long and feel like you've got to go, it's incumbent to make a really good hire. And Willie Taggart may have been a good coach. I just don't think Willie Taggart was given any time there were, we talk about referendums. There was one opening night on Willie Tiger, right? And sometimes that's, that's a tough decision. And I'll just give you one example. They're going to have to work really hard not to be the next Tennessee. And we could say there are other schools, but the best example I can give you that we all can relate to is, has Tennessee ever recovered from Philip Fulmer resigning? No, because not that I followed Tennessee, but essentially going back to your original point, people got tired of nine and three or 10 and two. It wasn't good enough. They would kill to have it. You got that right. And now look where they are. 
Well, Florida State doesn't want to be there. I, I like Mike Norvell. I like his staff. I think he's got a plan. I never had a Florida State game in the one and a half years Willie Tiger was there. We had him on the show a couple of different times. He's a nice man. I, I knew some of his staff from other stops, but I'm as mystified as anybody at kind of how this process is going to write itself. It's probably already righted itself with the hiring of Mike Norvell. But now you have to go back to the thing that I'm not sure Florida State fans have ever thought they would have to be. Now you got to be patient. Well, you know, I don't know much about Mike Norvell. You just kind of hear from afar. You hear the clock ticking for him, which is unfortunate because now he's not even through year two, right? You know what I mean? Like That's how. How do you say? And where are you going to – who are you going to hire and where are you going to get the money? Right. But here's the other thing, too, <laughs> is – and this is not a, really an indictment on him – is. You know, you're used to looking at when you watch Florida State, they had cats up and down their perennial had cats up and down their roster. They're just not the same looking team. So that's not Mike Norvell's fault yet. Right. Like it, it kind of like Jeff Collins. Like it's funny. We did something on our pregame show last week and the question was lack of patience from the fans. It got a little uh, heated, but it, somewhere in there when I calmed down, I, I said, it's really not lack of patience to me for the fans. It's more of a lack of understanding, whether it's Florida State or Georgia Tech or Miami sort of. The reality of, of what is right, not what was, but what is and where we are relative to what we want it to be. And you can have the conversation with just about every school that's had any structure of football success. And sometimes the discussion, you have to cite an example of 30 years ago or 70 years ago. In Miami's case, you can make it a little fresher of a conversation. We can't go 70. No, you can't. But you can go 20. And you can go 25 and 30 because that was the swing moment for Miami. But Florida State, you had 14 years of that, Josh. You had 14 years of living that life. So now this kind of fall right here, that makes it tougher. So when I was there for Jacksonville State and that happens, that's where the thing changes. Yeah. But even in his, you know, even, even for him, it might have swung too far. But even for him, you know, he should get a chance. I'm always generally pro-coach, pro-long vision. I'm pro-non-knee-jerk. I'm pro-not-referendum Monday. And in, in the world of college sports, unfortunately, when the noise gets loud, it, it trumps the program. All right, let me ask you this question. We'll use Florida State as the example. They win the national championship and beat Auburn. The next year, they come back and they go to the CFP under all that cloud of other stuff, they end up winning the ACC and going to the CFP and play like the circus against Oregon. The next year, they go to the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Is that the Alabama game? Yeah. And the kid tears his knee up. And haven't been right since. Correct. You can almost boil it down to, you know, a lot of times you don't have that position because, you know, that was a problem for us until De'Aaron King. We went on a three-year deal with not, we really didn't have one. I... Well aware. I watched one of your former quarterbacks throw a pass for UNLV the other night. Did you really? You know, it's funny. I've had this conversation with prominent college coaches. So you look at Dabo. He got his quarterback with Deshaun Watson. Had one with Trevor Lawrence. Jimbo had his with Jameis. Mac got his with Sam Howell. We're just going right now. Mac got his with Sam Howell. Because Willie Taggart and Walt Bell. Correct. Think about that, right? But I'm just saying that position, look at, look at even Virginia Tech. They took the step to the top of the mountain because of that position and that guy. Michael Vick. Yeah. And I'll give you one more here. You look at Virginia Tech and the way their quarterback has, that position has evolved in the last five or six years. And now you're down to an Oregon transfer and his backup is a kid from Rome, Georgia, who until he was offered by Virginia Tech, 
was going to Central Michigan. And if not Central Michigan, might have been going to the Southern Conference. That's how the position evolves. I mean, Roddy Jones and I've had this conversation on the road about places. Roddy was part of that Jeff Collins-inspired recruiting class for Chan Gailey that ultimately performed for Paul Johnson, Demarius Thomas, Josh Nesbitt, Derek Morgan, all those guys. And at the end, it became one of those scenarios where you just kind of looked at it and went, wow. But that's also the fine line of recruiting. You get that situation at Florida State, you talk about the one at Virginia Tech, Carolina, Georgia Tech. I mean, Duke. How about Duke? They just have two bad quarterbacks. Duke goes from Daniel Jones to Quentin Harris and Chase Bryce, and it cost David Cutcliffe two years. Now, I think the Holmberg kid's pretty talented, but, and you know this, you got to get it right. You get it right in recruiting, and then you better get it right in the development of the kid. Yeah. I mean, you can't really miss it. A lot of positions, but you really can't miss it that one. And you can't miss multiple times. So where, where is Virginia Tech at with Fuente? Since you've seen him, like, where, where are we in the post-Beamer era? I'll tell you exactly what I told Justin when I first met him. I still, to this day, believe he did an incredible job honoring and respecting Frank Beamer's legacy in Blacksburg. And you know this, just like with any other great coach, the end for Frank Beamer was not easy. It can't be. It was not easy for Virginia Tech. No, it's never easy. And Frank was making another run. It wasn't going to happen. And, you know, it was weird and everything else. So this is the way I kind of look at Justin Fuente. I think COVID really rocked two programs last year in the ACC. The two it rocked were Virginia Tech and Syracuse. Those are the two programs that I don't think ever had any rhythm, momentum, continuity, chance at being good last year. But I would say this about Fuente. I think he's a talented guy. I think he's a very capable recruiter. I think he does the media. He does the press conferences. I don't think it's his favorite thing to do. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school there. But I think this about Justin Fuente. When you replace a guy like Frank Beamer, he damn sure well better get a chance. Now, other people come and see that he's done that at Baylor, done that at Virginia Tech, like the Baylor situation a year ago or two years ago where they hired Dave Aranda. Look, that's going to happen. Why? Because he's from Oklahoma, played football there, finished at Murray State. He understands the Texas area, all those things. But people can't get in their feelings about the way a coach is handling the situation when you don't think they performed well. And, oh, by the way, somebody else offers them a job or talks to them about a job. Number one, that's incumbent upon that coach and that agent. But I think on the whole, he's done a really, really good job at Virginia Tech. Do you have to win the Coastal? Sure, they got a great football tradition. The ACC Packers line to this day is this. The ACC is a better conference nationally when Miami, Florida State, and Virginia Tech and Clemson are good. That's simple. So, yeah, I want Justin Fuente to succeed. I want all the others to succeed. Let's look at it this way. Those four teams, if they're at their top, is SEC-esque. In terms of the power brokerage of the league. Sure. No question. And you know what they do? Eyeballs. Television. Eyeballs. Look at Florida State, Notre Dame. That game arguably, and you know this, that game was a good game, but it was also a game that wasn't not exactly artistically pure, but a lot of people watched it because it was Florida State and Notre Dame. I think the new commissioner probably knows that. Just from reading between the lines, like when he got up there at ACC Media, I heard we have to make football a priority in our conference. He sort of knows where the bread is buttered in modern-day college athletics. No doubt. And I would say this. I would tell you 
that Jim Phillips is the absolute perfect hire for the ACC in terms of increasing revenues and understanding the value of football. I think I know what he meant in my head. I wanted to hear what I heard, but it was refreshing to hear that for our league, for the people, look, we came out of a football world into a basketball world, but to know that the man on top understands how the economics of our sport works these days. And it's the only way to push it forward. It's the largest chunk of the pie. That's it. And I'll add this too, because this goes hand in hand with the commissioner. And this is meant as no disrespect to previous athletic administrators in this league. Okay. And you know, I grew up in this league. I kind of understand the heritage and everything else. So for Dave Brain at Virginia Tech or, you know, when Paul D. was at Miami, Bob Goyne at Florida State or Homer Rice or any, this is no disrespect to any of those people. We've never had better athletic director leadership top to bottom in the conference than we have right now. Combine that with Phillips. I'm telling you, this is as good as it's been, 1 to 15, if you want to add Swarbrick to the list, than it's ever been in the history of this league from that position. Well, that is good to hear. All right, my friend, it was it was a pleasure. Thank you. Anytime, you bet. Tell Josie and Don to take it easy, okay? It's a tough spot to broadcast from, fellas, but you're the guys for the job. <laughs> Josie got a special set of binoculars. Yeah, you know where he got them from? Admiral Bird, he used them to go up the North Face. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as DBJ's got his monitor to the right. That's all he needs. Josie's got his binoculars and, and his four refreshers. State the facts, repeat the score, time and score. They're my favorites. Love those guys. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the game. Appreciate you, buddy. Anytime. Take care.